The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Carolus, and you are listening to Pa the Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Welcome to the 50th episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. <laughs> I can't believe I have produced 50 podcast episodes already. I thank you all for coming back each and every week to listen to me chat about dance. And for those of you new to the show, welcome to my podcast. I feel like this winter has been so dreary and chilly on the East Coast, so it has been a welcome relief to see the sun again and get to go outside a bit without, without having to wear multiple layers. The sunshine has really brightened my outlook, and looking at the past few episodes of Podichat, we have been discussing some heavier topics as of late, so I'm curious if that's related to the weather or just timing of things, but I thought that this week we could brighten things up a bit instead of talking about the, the tougher topics in the dance world. Before we get to that, though, here is your weekly reminder that I teach an advanced beginner ballet class at Broadway Dance Center every Friday at 6 p.m. through at least April. So, why haven't I seen you in class yet? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I thought. <laughs> I'm totally just kidding. But just a little friendly Jewish guilt reminder there from me to you. Um, if you're in the city, you are welcome to come and join us, and I'll, I'll give you some good old Vaganova technique with some nice balancing movement. Anyway, in the spirit of a lighter topic this week, I thought we'd chat about something related to an article I recently read. There have been a lot of questions lately about whether the full-length story ballet is coming back into popularity. For so many uh, years, it seems that the focus in many uh, ballet companies' repertoires has been to bring uh, one-act ballets that are either plotless or have a short story, um, maybe more current topics, uh, but not so much with, with the full-length ballets. Like many things in different cultures, fads seem to hit hard and then fade fast. But the really big ones don't disappear forever. They seem to phase out of popularity, then return years later for a renewed look at things. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking bell bottoms from the 70s, I'm thinking haircuts and different styles and things like that. Well, Word on the Street has it that this is happening with the classical full-length story ballet. In dance, we often call these the warhorse ballets. They are the works with the stories you probably already know before you go and see the ballet. Some are fairy tales, some are stories of really famous books, but these are often the ballets that bring in audiences of all ages and sell the most tickets. Because I guess they're most they're the most relatable. And while many of these classics are still performed with some semblance of their initial stagings, many are being reimagined for modern times in current repertoires. 
So, in honor of this reemergence of the story ballet conversation, I thought that I'd offer info on 10 classical full-length story ballets for those listeners that are newer to the dance world. Everybody should know about these works because they inform us greatly about where ballet has come from and, as they are reimagined, also help us take a look at where ballet is going. Just like uh, this year's season for the English National Ballet, they are offering a comparison of the classic Giselle. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. And then they also had a contemporary reimagining of this work choreographed by Akram Khan um, with a, a different focus, with different music. And really, I think it's really genius of Tamara Rojo to set her season up this way. She actually, they did the reimagining of Giselle earlier in the season, and I believe right around now they're about to do the classical story ballet. So it, it'll be really interesting to see how the audience uh, digests the, the two different versions of that in such a short period of time. So, okay, let's take a look at these 10 classics and learn something about the history of classical ballet today. Alrighty, let's kick off this list with Sleeping Beauty. This one is very well known. <laughs> if you don't know what Sleeping Beauty is, you have a little bit of homework to do. Um, whether you saw the Disney version or you've seen one of the, the live versions in, in a movie, um, or if you've read the book, this is pretty well known. Um, I think this one's probably first on my list because I've been reading reviews of New York City Ballet who just completed their run of Sleeping Beauty. So, okay, the original Sleeping Beauty was choreographed by Petipa, um, and the music for this ballet is by... Tchaikovsky, Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky. Um, it premiered in 1890, and it's not only one of the most famous story ballads, but it's also one of the most famous fairy tales. If you don't know the story, <laughs> here's the brief taste of this four act for you, but I do suggest that you uh, see the movie, the Disney movie. I, mean, I saw that when I was like four, I believe. Um, but the work begins with a party and the celebration of the king and queen's newest addition to the royal family. This is Princess Aurora. All of the people of the land, including fairies, come to share their blessings. But when the evil fairy Carabas is accidentally left off the guest list and gets word that she was not invited, she arrives in a fit of rage and curses the child, stating that she will prick her finger on a spindle and fall asleep forever. Sixteen years later, the princess is meeting potential husbands on her birthday, you know, because they married young back then. And Carabas comes in disguise, and she hides a spindle and a bouquet of flowers that are given to Aurora, and she successfully completes her plan to put Aurora to sleep for eternity. Luckily, there's a ton of magic, and a prince, years later, who sees a vision and decides he really wants to marry this <laughs> forever teen... <laughs> And the rest of the story follows his quest to find her, and once he does, a massive wedding party ensues. This is a regular ballet on the repertoire circuit in the United States and across the world. So, if you haven't seen this ballet, I'm sure within the next year to three years, your local company will perform it. And if not, there are companies across the country. So, if you haven't seen it, it's time to go out and buy your tickets and check this one out. It's a standard. Alright, next up on our list we have Swan Lake. 
Uh, Swan Lake, the choreography is often by Petipa, the original, and then the music is by Tchaikovsky as well. Tchaikovsky composed many, many of our favorite classic ballets, classical ballets. Um, so this one premiered in 1877 and has some of the most beautiful and well-known music on earth. Uh, I love the music for Swan Lake. It follows the story of a woman that has been cursed by an evil monster named Rothbart to live her human life as a swan. A prince on a hunt ends up happening upon Odette, who is the cursed woman, and she convinces him not to harm her swan friends, and they fall in love. If he commits his love to her and remains faithful, the curse on her will be broken and she will be able to become a woman again and she uh, can live her life as a human with, with the prince. But Rothbart has an inkling that something is happening and hatches a manipulative plan to have an identical looking woman woo him to convince him that she is Odette, but in fact she is Odile. So when he agrees to marry her, he realizes his error and has to go back to the lake to tell Odette, and he, they realize that they can never, never be together. Um, and depending on the version, <laughs> uh, Odette, she flies back into the forest and they part forever. And in other versions, the pain is so great that they launch themselves off of a cliff to their, their death. It's very tragic, very... Uh, it's very sad and moving, but oh, if you get to see this ballet, the last few minutes of music, it just leaves goosebumps on my arms, and just such such a beautiful, beautiful score. This is another one like Sleeping Beauty that comes back every couple years with local uh, companies, so if you are interested, you can probably see it this year or in the next few years. Next up on our list, we have Giselle, with the choreography by Corelli and Perot. I believe it's Perot, P-E-R-O-T. Um, and the music is by Adolf Adam. And this is one of the oldest classical ballets that was choreographed. Um, in fact, when I danced with Pacific Northwest Ballet, the final year that I was there, uh, Doug Fullington, who... Uh, does many things for the company up there. He also reads dance notation, and he went back to the original notation from the ballet and recreated the choreography back to its original form. So, it was very interesting, and if you're curious about that, you should go check out the next time Pacific Northwest Ballet performs their Giselle, which I'm not sure if it's coming up in the next season or not, but go check them out, Pacific Northwest Ballet at pnb.org. Um, anyway, this, the ballet premiered in 1841, and the story of Giselle is about a young woman in a peasant village that accidentally falls in love with royalty, um, and this royalty is in their, their village because they're bored, he, they're bored with their life at the castle and pretending to be less privileged than they actually are. When Giselle finds out that she has been betrayed by this duke, Albrecht, who loves her but is betrothed or engaged to be married to another woman, uh, she goes mad and her heart explodes, killing her. She had a um, she already had a congenital heart defect, and her her mother is quite aware of this. You see this throughout the the first act of the ballet, but um, she loses her mind and her heart explodes. During the second act of this two-act ballet, Giselle is found in the forest among the willies, who are ghosts of unwed women who dance men who happen upon them to their death. 
And when Albrecht realizes he was truly in love with Giselle, he seeks her out in the forest. And Giselle helps protect Albrecht from Myrta, who is the Queen of the Willies, and uh, helps protect him from certain death. So yeah, this is a classic standard, and it goes back many, many, many years. I love the second act with the Willies. It's very haunting. Alright, next we have Don Quixote, which was choreographed by Petipa, and the music is by Minkus. It premiered in 1869, and it's based on the book by Miguel de Cervantes uh, named Don Quixote de la Mancha. It's one of the flashiest classical ballets that is full of showmanship, tricks, and zest. The story follows a buffoon of a man who is obsessed with mythical stories and wants to become a knight to fend off fantastical beasts. <laughs> I stole that from that movie that just came out. <laughs> um, on his quest, he enters a village and mistakes a sassy, flashy local lady named Kitri for the woman he's looking for from his book. He, I believe that he is looking for Dulcinea. Dulcinea. I've actually never performed this ballet outside of one of the pas de deux from the third act. So this story I had to do a lot of research on. Anyway, so Kitri is having issues because her dad is trying to sell her off for a dowry to another man that she doesn't love. So, as the ballet progresses, Don Quixote conjures up a dream of his love that involves a ton of women, and continuing past that dream, Kitri works up a plan that will allow her to marry her true love, Basilio, and they get married, and instead of doing it quietly, it's a flashy show of tricks, air bites, and many, many fans. Not like the people fans, but the fans that you wave to create air. <laughs> nice breeze and hot environments. That was really well explained, wasn't it? <laughs> anyway, it's really a fun ballet. It's pretty lighthearted, and if you're curious about this, I really think you'll love it. It's got tons and tons of great dancing. Very uh, sharp and very showy. Um, so, that is Don Quixote. Okay, next on the list, we have La Female Garde, um, and that's Fee, F-I-L-L-E, and Garde, G-A-R-D-E-E, -E, La Female Garde. Um, it's originally choreographed by Jean d'Auberval, uh, but it was also choreographed by Gorski, and most famously choreographed by Ashton. Um, the music is originally by Peter Ludwig, Ludwig Hertel, but Ashton ended up choosing a different score by Ferdinand Herold. It originally premiered in 1789, and uh, so it, I believe this is actually one of the very first full-length ballets. It's even younger than, or even older than Giselle. Um, and the name of the ballet, La Female Garde, means the wayward daughter. And in this story, like many ballets, marriage is involved. There's Lise and Colas who are in love with each other and they want to get married, but Lisa's mother, the widow Simone, wants her to marry a rich but less bright man named Alain. Um, and this, like I said, it seems like it's a common thread in many classical ballets where two people can't be together even though they love each other dearly. So, throughout this entire work, the widow does her best to separate the lovers, but in the end, she cannot keep them apart. This one is a very lighthearted work, not as deeply uh, heartbreaking as Giselle and Swan Lake. 
Um, so if you're looking for something lighter, this is one. It doesn't come around very often in repertoire, but it, is, it does come back. So if you want to see that, check out your local listings. All right, moving on to our next work, the Baya Dare. And this is another one that I haven't performed, um, but I've seen a lot of it, and I've, I've seen it a handful of times, and I, I've I've learned a few of the roles in this ballet. So, La Baya Dare. It is yet another ballet that was choreographed by Petipa, who is really one of the most uh, renowned classical warhorse ballet choreographers. The music here is also by Minkus, which was Don Quixote's music uh, choreographer, composer, not choreographer. My brain's not working today. So, uh, La Bayadere means the temple dancer, and it premiered in 1877. And this is a longer ballet. It's four acts, and it doesn't get performed much in the United States due to the size of its cast. Um, it has one of the most beautifully hypnotic scenes in all of any any ballets I've ever seen. Um, it's called The Kingdom of the Shades. And for about five minutes, women step out of the wings performing consecutive arabesques in plie until 30 or so dancers are finally all on stage. Um, and all women, and it shows like you really have to have a huge company or access to more dancers in order to perform this act. So this ballet is rarely performed here in the U.S., but many European companies do perform this. Uh, this story is too long and complicated to share in full, but long story short, Nakia and her lover Solor, Solor <laughs> are to marry, but there is a high Brahmin who is in love with Nakia, so he tries to kill him, but fails. Really classy, right? <laughs> Instead, Nakia is killed by a snake that was sent out by this Raja guy because he thinks that his daughter Gamzadi is a better fit to marry her lover Solor. Uh, so Nakia thinks that the flowers that hid the snake were from Solor, so she feels betrayed. Um, and because the high Brahmin wants her to marry, uh, he offers Nakia an antidote, but she feels betrayed and chooses to die in that moment. <laughs> Man, these people are popular in their town. <laughs> They're kind of like today's Hollywood celebrities. Anyway, Solor is depressed and does what a lot of people do when they're depressed, so he turns to something outside of his body, and this just happens to be opium, <laughs> which makes him trip and dream of the famous Kingdom of the Shades, where he gets to reconcile with his love. So when he wakes up, I guess he feels comfortable <laughs> that he had reconciled with Nakia, and he go he he goes ahead and marries Gamzadi. Um, and when they get married, the gods take their revenge for Nakia's murder and burn the temple to the ground. That is a lot of drama for one ballet. <laughs> I remember seeing La Bayadere. I believe it was performed by the Kirov before it became the Mariansky Ballet, before they renamed it. Um, they came to New York, and I think the ballet started at 7.30 or 8 o'clock, and we didn't get out of the theater till 12.30 at night. So if they perform this in full, it's quite a long ballet. But most companies, especially in the U.S. where there are unions and they want to keep the cost down, um, most of them don't go past three hours. But uh, if you see the original, it, I believe it's a four-and-a-half-hour festiv festivity. So just be prepared for that one. It is a beautiful, beautiful ballet, though. All right. Let's let's move on. So now we have Capella. The choreography is the original choreography is by Arthur Saint Leon, and the music is by Delib, uh, which has an S on the end. It's D E L I B E S, uh, and this is my least favorite ballet of all. I really don't like this ballet. That doesn't mean that you're not going to like this ballet. For many, this is a classic favorite in repertoire repertoires around the world. 
Capellia, the reason that I don't love it is just the story. It's kind of, uh, what's the word I've heard? It's, is this Yiddish Vakakta? It's a little, it's a little off the rails. Um, but the story is about a woman named Swan Hilda and her boyfriend Franz, and it premiered in 1870. They live in a village and expect to marry, yet again, another story about marriage. Um, but the local oddball and toy maker Dr. Capellius accidentally and indirectly disrupts their plans to marry. Franz, who clearly isn't too smart, he sees a beautiful woman in Dr. Capellius's workshop's window, and he doesn't realize that she is a doll. <laughs> so he sneaks into the workshop to try to meet this woman, and he almost cheats on his soon-to-be wife <laughs> with this doll, but luckily... Swanhilda finds out that he's going to the workshop and she poses as the doll. So they start to dance together and he goes in and tries to kiss her and she reveals herself. And there's about 30 seconds of tension after he realizes that Swanhilda has been playing a trick on him the entire time. But <laughs> I guess this is why I don't really like this ballet. They quickly get over it. She forgives him and they run into a marriage, which is the final act. Me thinks that this marriage isn't really going to last long, but nobody has ever choreographed the sequel to this ballet. Hmm. Maybe I should claim copyright to that and go ahead and do that now, um, because I really don't think that their marriage is going to work out. But this is the story. It is a very lighthearted ballet, so if you're looking for something that's not too serious, uh, this might be your, the work for you to go see. This has also been reimagined by many choreographers. Uh, Balanchine even has a virgin, version of that, and I, I got to perform that in Seattle when I danced for Pacific Northwest Ballet. All right, we've got three more ballets here for you. Um, these ones are probably more recognizable than a few on this list. So we have Romeo and Juliet. The story obviously was uh, developed by Shakespeare, but many choreographers have taken on this famous, famous story. The, the the best known versions are by Macmillan and Krenko, and the music was is, is by Prokofiev. I love this score. This is one of my favorite scores of all of the classical ballads. I'd really say Swan Lake and, and Romeo and Juliet. And one of the next ones that we'll talk about, Midsummer's Night Dream. I really love the music for all of these. Okay, so, um, if you don't know the story of Romeo and Juliet, I'm assuming you didn't go to school, <laughs> or you never made it past the 8th grade, or maybe you aren't in 8th grade yet, so no judgments there. Um, but in the U.S., at least, this is usually required reading. Uh, if you need a brief synopsis, two star-crossed lovers in Italy fall in love, but the catch, their families have a long-standing feud amongst each other, and this town is small, and it's in olden times. So pretty much everybody comes from one of these two families, uh, which is kind of questionable, but <laughs> that's how the story goes. Um, so how is this couple supposed to stay together when their families hate each other to the point of murdering one another? I guess you'll have to go buy tickets the next time around and uh, go go find your local company and see uh, 
Let's see what happens in this story. I do love this story. I have I have lots of knowledge about this ballet. I have danced everything from each, the Montagues, the Capulets, and the core. I've danced Mercutio with Pacific Northwest Ballet. I danced Romeo with Fort Wayne Ballet. Um, I really have gotten to explore every angle of this work, and it's truly one of my favorite, favorite works to perform, and the music just uh, sends shivers down my spine in the best ways. <laughs> I love Romeo and Juliet. All right. Got two more to go. So I just mentioned this work, A Midsummer's Night Dream, and I said that wrong. I always say it wrong. It's A Midsummer Night's Dream, um, and this is another adaptation from Shakespeare. The choreography, um, the two best-known versions, there's a classical version by Ashton, and there's a neoclassical version by Balanchine. Um, I've been lucky enough to perform the Balanchine version. I've done all, again, just like Roman and Juliet, I've really gotten to wrap my mind around this work. I've done many of the core roles. I've performed Bottom, which is the man that's turned into a donkey, um, and then I've also performed Puck in this. So another ballet that I, is very near and dear to my heart and that I truly do love. The music is by Mendelssohn, and depending on which version you're watching, the classical version, there's only one act, and in the neoclassical version, it's two acts, which is why I have included this in the list. Um, so, there really are a few different stories happening throughout A Midsummer's Night Dream. There is this fairy kingdom that exists that has Titania, who's the queen of the fairies, and Oberon. Um, and then there's Puck, who is Oberon's sort of... He's always doing... He's like his assistant, but he's always messing everything up. Um, so they are having an argument over a child. Um, Titania thinks that she owns the child, and Oberon wants the child. Um, so all this is happening, and Puck is trying to help make this uh, make get Oberon the, this child. So at the other on the other side of the spectrum, there are real people in the forest that are lovers. There's a couple that is madly in love, and they their relationship is going very well. And then there's another couple that. Uh, they're always arguing and they're having difficulties in their relationships. So um, all of these worlds start to collide and Oberon is trying to, he, they, they, they're able to find a flower that if you smell it, you fall asleep. And then when you wake up, the first person you see, you fall in love with. And in Oberon's attempt to try to resolve this couple that's having conflict, the first person that they see is the other couple and it's just a disaster. These couples end up, the loving, the, the loving couple ends up not loving each other and arguing and then the arguing couple it's it's really just a mess you're gonna have to watch it to see actually what happens but um it's really fun to watch and then at the same time Oberon he is trying to get Titania to fall in love with him so that he can have the child but she, the first thing she sees is a man that has been turned into a donkey and she falls in love with him but by the end of the first act they all resolve this and then the second act is really kind of unrelated, but it's just like a celebration. Um, so, if you want that cleared up a little bit, you should see this this work. Um, New York City Ballet does it almost every spring season around May or June. So, if you're curious about it, check it out. And then, I know American Ballet Theater does the, the Ashton version. But, yeah, it's a crazy story with many, many, many layers. So, if you're a bit confused by the explanation, go ahead and check that out. It's really, oh, the music is so great. I love it, I love it, I love it. And just sounded like that woman from SNL. So, 
The final one on our list, I'm pretty sure you knew that this one was coming. <laughs> I don't think a list of classical ballets would uh, be complete without me mentioning this. So, the final, the 10th classical ballet that you should know about is The Nutcracker. Yep. Uh, this is this was choreographed initially by Petipa, but everybody, everybody on this earth has choreographed this ballet. <laughs> Okay, not everybody, but it's been reinvented a million times. That's probably no exaggeration. But it was made most famous by George Balanchine. The music, again, is by Tchaikovsky. And this is a holiday classic. This is every year people go back to see this ballet because it just it's such a warm piece to see and it reminds everybody of the holidays. So the story follows a, a girl named Marie or Clara, depending on the version that you, you're seeing, and she is attending her family's yearly annual holiday party and um, her uncle Drosselmeyer, he's kind of a weirdo, he's quirky, and uh, also makes dolls. He he makes a nutcracker for her and he gives it to her as a gift. But her rowdy brother breaks the nutcracker and Drosselmeyer fixes it, which eventually leads to Clara fixating on it. <laughs> she has a dream and during this dream, the nutcracker comes to life to protect her from all of these mice that are attacking her and they are able to conquer the mice and then the nutcracker takes her on this wonderful journey through the the this the snow this blizzard in the forest and um brings her to the land of the sweets where all of these uh different sweets perform divertissements which are different uh dances um but yeah all these sweets they perform for her and by the end she wakes up and it was all a dream and it was the best of christmas dreams so um most people know this this story and there are many different adaptations of this uh some follow that that storyline pretty strictly. Some don't. Some are a little bit darker. Some are a little bit lighter. Sometimes Claire, she uh, instead of just going into the land of the sweets and watching the sweets dance for her, she actually grows into a full woman, um, and then she gets to dance the grand pas with the Nutcracker, and it's more like a romantic thing. There are many different ways that this story has been imagined, but. Most people at least have heard of the Nutcracker. If you don't, you will definitely get to see this ballet because almost every ballet company in the United States performs this during the holiday season. And if you're not in the United States, they don't always do it around the holidays, but it usually comes back into the company's repertoires every couple of years. So, fear not, you will get a chance to see this work if you really want, it, want, want to see it. And you can even see local little small schools to professional companies the whole range it gets performed by them so there you have it there are 10 classical story ballets um for those of my newer listeners or those who are not as uh not as educated in the ballet world. So I'm happy to be here to offer you a little bit of education and to help hopefully inspire you to go out and check your local companies to see what they are performing. So there you have it. We have officially completed 50 episodes here on Pod Chat. Thank you so much for coming back every week so that we can continue to put out these podcasts. Uh, it's been such a, an amazing journey for me, and I can't wait to get to 100 with all of you. So, with all of that said, 
Thank you for coming and listening to Pod Chat Talking Dance. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my contact page on my website on www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollis, featuring my choreography, and Core-ography, that's Choreography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod the Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.